Welcome to episode 153 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen in Rome. Hopefully you hear some ambient Roman <laughs> atmosphere out here at the Foro Italico. Ciao, Courtney. Ciao, Ben. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. I'm eating pasta. I'm not eating at Burger King, in case anybody was wondering. I very rarely do that in Rome. Uh, that would be offensive. Is, I, it would be genuinely offensive. I didn't find it as offensive in Madrid just because... It was around the corner from my hotel, uh, but now I have a ridiculous reputation amongst the players, which is pretty fun. So that's good. It's always yeah. good to have a reputation yeah. for things that are just involving food. <laughs> yeah, why not? One of the better reputations you can have, I think. Uh, yeah, so Madrid finished. Uh, let's go to results there first, I guess, just to wrap this up. But we have, obviously, NCR Vision coming out later this week, so this will be a relatively shorter show. But we can blow through some, some things that happened in Madrid since we last left our, hero, our heroines on the women's <laughs> side. Um, it does. Heroin. Hero. What is it? What does all of it say? Heroin. Oh, heroin like hero, not like the drug for you. Right. Those of you wondering. Hellion. Hellion. Rascal. Rascal. Rocker. Okay. A lot of words. Yeah. Um, I like words. Words are cool. Uh, only one seed made it to the quarters. It was pretty open draw. Uh, Simona Halep was the seed made it to the quarters, and she saw it through to winning the title which was good for her to come through that draw there. She beat Sosa in the semis quickly, and then relatively convincingly, Dominika Sibolkova, uh, who beat the surprise semifinalist, Luisa Chirico. A lot of, lot of ways to look at this tournament. You can talk Romanians, you can talk you know, WTA openness again. What were your main takeaways, I guess, from how Madrid played out, and I guess especially for Simona Halep? what it means for her to get this title. I think, I mean, my biggest takeaway is that Simona Halep is back in the conversation. I'm not going to say she's back or, you know, anything like that, but I think that after what happened to her last year on clay and grass and just having a really disastrous um, few months on, on these surfaces for her to come through and to just make good on, um, on what we know that she can do and what she's supposed to do. And I think that with Simona Halep, you know, the key words when it comes to talking about her are pressure. Um, key word is pressure. If she had a t-shirt, that would be the word that was on it. Um, and how she deals with it. And, and in this situation, you know, she had, a, she got herself a good draw with that early, uh, early two matches against Misaki Doi in, in a, uh, somewhat injured or coming back from injury Karen Knapp um, and then I think that that match against Maya Bachinski was really big for Simona Halep she didn't buy into my theory so much of that she kind of was like eh, it's just another match I don't know if I believe that but I players think players are not always reliable narrators exactly and and uh, so I think that that was an incredibly big win for her um, to be able to get that straight sets especially after what happened in Miami a few weeks before and you know, at that point in the quarterfinals, she is the overwhelming favorite. She is the one who is supposed to win this title. And she took care of business and in very, very straightforward fashion. And I thought that in addition to, you know, obviously winning the title, which is great, but the level that she really played at throughout the tournament was, was pretty high. And uh, so that was more so than the title encouraging to me. I would agree with pretty much all of that. I, I think that it was good to see Simona Halep picking up these titles because I think I really thought I guess since 2014 
or maybe even late 2013 when she started reeling off all those titles and we knew even then that clay was her best surface we expected her to do big things and i said i remember i'm pretty sure I, i'm guessing doesn't you want to dig through the archives and find this please <laughs> please don't waste your time that way but i'm guessing i said something like that she had a chance to be a dominant clay court player in the next generation because there weren't many players and this is i guess pre you know we didn't know about a lot of the younger ones at this point but we didn't see i didn't see many true clay quarters out there yeah. in this era where French Opens were being won by players like Lina, Sharapova, Serena. Uh, I, I saw a space for Halep to come out and be a, a real clay court dominant player. Again, just one title. Didn't have to go through the toughest road to get there. But still, it's good to see her at least getting back towards track. Because, uh, like you said, Courtney, she'd been a little bit out of the conversation. She had been ranked number seven now. And a lot of that. Was, no one was talking yeah, to her, no. talking about her, or no. even to her, honestly. Um, you and talk, you, you talked to her a baffling amount to her. We are. I think if you were to make like a short list of players with whom I am basically conversation partners with at this point, you'd probably say Azarenka. You'd put say Halep, uh, Kvitova, Azarenka Angie. Because she's been winning so much. But that's what I mean. Yeah. Is like players who I just this year and over the course of the last like you know twelve months, I just happen to talk to a lot because it is now literally my job to do so, um, that they just kind of are sick of talking to me. And, you know, hey, sometimes it goes both ways. Just kidding, you I guys. I know how you feel, ladies. I know. <laughs> I can be a jerk. But, um, yeah, so I just think that, that for her, you know, how she manages the pressure going forward, because she is there, she is going to be part of the conversation more and more. She is going to be on short lists at the, the French Open, assuming especially that it's a, a Maria Sharapovalis French Open. Um, yeah, that seems very likely and, at this point. Yeah, and a lot of question marks, obviously, around Serena Williams. Uh, Victoria Zarenka now dealing with a lower back injury, and we don't know what that's about. Uh, Petra Kvitova, always a wild card, but also carrying an injury. There's a lot of question marks, and you look at players like a Halep, like Bachinsky. You know, Benchich is now kind of uh, out with uh, with injury as well. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of opportunity coming up at this French Open. Now, I say that now, and in five weeks we could be like saying, "Hey, Serena Williams with the French Open, duh." Yeah. But it wouldn't Serena have been duh. Rank a final, whatever. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It wouldn't be duh. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it um, wouldn't be. Uh, and even so, like it, I, I'll throw in a Ronnie, who's normally relevant clay court, sure. has had a bad, not a great clay season. Bageled by uh, Heather Watson today. Yeah, that's had not, a had a rib injury in the middle of that match. Yeah, but, that shouldn't be happening much. Yeah. And then Pekovic hasn't another yeah. good clay quarter hasn't had a good stretch at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's there's space there's to be had. There's, there's opportunity yeah. for Kerber. There's opportunity for Halep there's you know there's I mean there's just opportunity there because yeah it's hard to see who is particularly dangerous at this point you know what I mean like when you open up a clay court draw you're kind of like oh like you know I don't know who's playing well who's not um, and who's bringing what on what week and it's so different difficult too from Madrid to Rome to even translate those results because of the differing conditions and things like that so it's not like I think that Simona Halep's going to win Rome but you know, she could. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> she could. Um, let's transition to the dudes. Uh, Novak Djokovic won Madrid. It was his 29th Masters title, which That's is a, lot. a whole lot. That's a lot. He's won at least twice everywhere now, except for Cincinnati, where he still hasn't won just by making the final like five times, which is crazy. So he's really closing in on that, you know, all the Masters records. Uh, he doesn't turn 29 until later this month, so he has more Masters titles than his age, which is impressive, uh, if momentary. Although I guess he could win the 30th here and keep ahead of that of father time on that way and buy himself another year. Uh, yeah, so he is doing well, as always. Uh, and did anything change, I guess, on the men's side for you? Um, big picture. We'll go to we'll go to Andy Murray a little bit more separately, just because of his other news in his life at the moment. 
But uh, apart from him, did anything change in how uh, this race is shaping up, or is, is Novak still just the guy? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that Novak is the guy. I think that the the weirdly for me, the biggest takeaway from Madrid really came out of that semifinal between Rafa and Andy. Okay. Because I think that most of the conversation was the momentum was behind Rafa that that you know with the win in Monte Carlo and the win in Barcelona and the way that he had been playing, he looked you know kind of on his way back. I wouldn't have said back. Some people were saying back, but but on his way to kind of recapturing certainly, that form. Certainly better. No, certainly sure. on an upward trend when it'd been a very clear yeah. downward trend for a year. Yeah. yeah so so yeah. to lose the way that he did in particular to to Andy. Yeah, um, especially how that match kind of ended. That match was crappy. It, it was, it was, it was surprising, and and he kind of got bullied off the court by Andy, and then at the same time couldn't played like the big points incredibly wrong and nervously that drop shot. I'm still flat in the tiebreak. I'm still flabbergasted that he tried to hit that, and I think he's still flabbergasted. His reaction kind of showed that, but um, but yeah. So with Rafa, you know, obviously it's Madrid, and it's not you know, the the clay court tournament that he loves nor dominates in the way that, that he has in the past, um, other other venues. But, um, yeah, that result surprised me. I really, what I really, watching the tournament, was fully expecting a Novak-Rafa final. And me even too. if Novak, even if Rafa lost that, so long as he didn't lose it in the way that he lost, like, in Doha, it would have been fine. Yeah. You know, I think that he would have proven something there. I would agree. I mean, I, the reason I'm not too, I don't want to read too, too much into... Rafa's loss here. I mean, he did win Monte Carlo, and he did beat Murray in Monte Carlo on the route to that title, which I think, and Stan. All the Stan did, again, Stan is such a on or off. You never know what you're going to get with Stan. This Stan has a lot of kind of just like no-shows results-wise. You have to kind of, I don't want to say asterisk, but be like, okay, this wasn't peak Stan. I mean, he's Stan is, you never know what you're going to get with him. And he's more reliable on that front, which he's is like weird He's like ATP saying. Petra. Yeah, he kind of is. Except that Petra doesn't Two like slams. check out. She just like sucks. sometimes just doesn't have it. Yeah. And, I think Stan sometimes I think checks out a little bit more than that, but yeah, it's just like you know what they're capable of That's on any really given day. That's a really good analogy, by the way. I'm sorry, I, Thanks, I don't know man. if ever have we never made that analogy no. before. It's I've never, good. It's, I've never made. I think it. it's pretty good. They both won two slams. They mm-hmm. both have that one like jaw dropping shot. They both can play like symphonic. You just know how good they can be. Exactly. And you're kind of like, wow, you should win everything, and you don't. Yeah. And that's confusing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, so uh, all that is true. But yeah, so Rafa does have, I think, a pretty well-earned Masters title on clay to his name. I don't read as much into Barcelona. I mean, it's good to get, keep the wins going, but that's a, it should be a fish-in-a-barrel type tournament for a player as good as him. Uh, but yeah, and this was a, a bit of a letdown then, because he could have run into this final with a lot of momentum. And like you said, even if he's not beating Novak in that final, probably, uh, he would have but at like least sustained it. like a four and three, it. a four and four, a se- you know, a five, five and five. And, yeah, yeah, it five would have been six, respectable, yeah. you know? Yeah, and for sure. You would have then looked for him to continue to build on that. But I think just the way that he lost that match to Andy... Um, yeah, that I'm, I don't know. I'm still I'm still really surprised by it, to be so quite frank. Before before we get to the Andy, well, let's just get to the Andy news now. The the, the bigger big news item of the day, the bulletin across the wires, uh, was <laughs> Courtney. I'm gonna walk you through this. Uh, Courtney is sad, is sniffling audibly. Hopefully, that's um, just good. That's just good listening right there. <laughs> is that? Uh, Andy Murray's team put out a statement, a joint statement between him and Amelie Moresmo, saying that after two years, uh, or a little less than two, I guess they started it at Queen's Club in 2014, uh, that he and Amelie Moresmo have amicably or mutually uh, split, ended their coaching relationship, which has gone on for two years. Obviously a massively historic coaching partnership, uh, really 
remembered as being groundbreaking is Andy Murray reaching out, being a top men's player, hiring a female coach, picking from a pool of, of top female champions that honestly doesn't even get picked that much for the top women players. And Andy Murray went with her, stuck with her for two years. Uh, first, let's go to, I guess, your thoughts on the decision itself, and then we'll get to evaluating Moresmos with a, uh, no, Mer- it's, it's hard to say out loud, but it works in text. <laughs> so those of you reading the closed captions of this episode will get it, uh, the partnership between Amelie and Andy. First on the news. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, not entire. I mean, okay. I don't think it's necessarily surprising, given that, I mean, Maresma was in uh, Madrid for a couple of days last week, but then did leave about mid-tournament. And there were a lot, I was asking a lot of the Brits if they knew what was going on there. Why wasn't she staying? You know, is she, is this part of Andy Murray's, like, thing about not wanting to yell at his box? So he doesn't, now he's trying Maresma not being there? I don't know. So it didn't come out of the complete blue. It's definitely disappointing, um, you know, because I think that that they just made a good pair. But at the same time, you know, you never know uh, what is going on between them. In other words, um, whether or not her voice was no longer getting through to Andy, whether or not, you know, having a kid wanting to maybe be home more, uh, not wanting to travel as much, um, that's obviously possibly an issue. You know, there's just a lot going on. Did Andy Murray feel like he stalled? I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was definitely surprised and bummed to see the news. I was surprised too. I mean, I think that Amelie had been around relatively sporadically. It was never, you never knew when she was going to be at a tournament from the outside or not. She wasn't, and I guess it was a little bit the same as Yvonne Lendl, though Yvonne really just seemed to pick the big spots in a more clear pattern. Uh, but Andy had sustained this thing before. And I think it's just, I think coaching relationships have a shelf life. And that's the thing. I mean, two years is not um, a shorter-than-average coaching tenure on the ATP, I don't think. I mean, obviously, I mean, if you put Tony Nadal in there, that it skews the average significantly. The top guys, it is long-term. Tony Nadal, yeah. Magnus, uh, Severin, you know. Well, that's true. But, no, but Roger had uh, Edberg, which didn't last any longer, really, well, than Sure, this. but when we talk about actual coaching, I think that most people still kind of look at Severin Luthi as being his longtime coach. Maybe. I mean, that's true. I don't know. I don't know where exactly Amelie falls on the coach versus super coach continuum. I think she was a little bit of mm. a hybrid. I mean, she wasn't a full time. She wasn't going to, I don't know, um, what is Andy, like Hopman Cup with Andy, wherever like his warm up tournaments are. Uh, and, she and wasn't doing the events. full schedule like Danny Valmeda no, was doing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And which someone like uh, Jamie Delgado, who's, I guess, going to be the place, not, I want to say placeholder, but the interim coach at least for, or the default coach for Murray for the time being goes but yeah i think to go to their legacy i think this was a massively uh i've talked about the importance of it earlier and that part i think is the lasting legacy of it but i don't i saw a lot of people i i said something about how i wondered if he would pick another female coach after the success he had with Moresmo, and that was part of one of his goals in looking for his coaches he specifically wanted a female coach it wasn't as much as it should be it should be like she was the best candidate happened to be a woman he was looking for something specific that Marismo gave him and it was a big success for him I think and I got challenged on Twitter being like was it really a success like, I think it was a success he's number two in the world you guys like and if came you're back se- from back surgery if you're setting the bar at a place where being number two in the world is failure like that's just me <laughs> because what did it say about everybody else they're only as he won the he won zero slams yes but he made two finals i think two australian open finals losing two during their time together to djokovic who that guy seems pretty good i heard he won 29 masters titles already yeah he's pretty good <laughs> uh he won the same number of titles in this stretch or number, number of slams rather 
in the stretch as Federer and it all combined, which is zero. <laughs> uh, he won. The only, only other guys who won one slam were uh, Stan, which was at the French, and kind of, again, bolt of lightning, didn't have the consistency as Murray, has never been ranked ahead of Murray during the stretch, and Chilich, which is just complete. That was a complete outlier. So I don't think you can look at what Murray has done and say it's this. I mean, could he be doing more? Sure. But let's remember, Andy Murray was always the pinky toe on this foot. All right? <laughs> he was. And and people admit that. He's big four versus big three plus one, whatever you say it is. I don't think you can say that Andy Murray's results. Could they have been better? Sure. But are they uh, de- decryable? Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that where you look and say that there was maybe a disappointment it was with his results, uh, you know, at the Masters and his results outside of the slams. Like, insofar as, like, the early losses, I mean, it wasn't like he was picking up. But at the same time... Not okay, that many, though. No, but I was going to say all that. But then at the same time, again, we're talking about an era in which Novak Djokovic has been incredibly dominant in this stretch, uh, this Moresmo-Murray stretch. The, di- the disappointment, I think, is the record against Djokovic. Yeah. That's which, what it comes down to. I mean... Which everybody else pretty much has, too. One, and, in, one in 12 is not good. Yeah, 1 in 12 is not great. No, for sure. But it's, it's again, you're, you're rating things against the field. You're rating things against what is the norm. And, and uh, you know, for, for Andy to do, I think, what he did in terms of, you know, getting to those finals, getting those wins that he was able to notch... You know, I think I think it's fine, and I, and I think that at the end of the day, when you gauge what is a successful coaching relationship, you really have to go. I'd be curious to hear what Andy says about it, because if Andy says, you know what, it wasn't as good as it should have been, then I will take his word for that, and then I will say, you know what, it was probably a little sub. It wasn't what it should have been. If he comes out and he says, you know what, like. Where I was at the moment when I hired her, she was exactly what I needed and she fulfilled every single, you know, in terms of being a sounding board, in terms of being somebody that I could talk to and and feel comfortable with and kind of transition away from this uber, uber testosterone-y, macho, you know, team that he had built around him before where he felt like he wasn't free enough to um, talk about his insecurities. If Andy Murray, in other words, needed two years to talk about his feelings... (laughs) <laughs> and he got to do that, I think he's fine. Like, you know what I mean? It, it just depends on what the player needs at the time. And, yeah. um, you know, but it, it'll be interesting to see where he goes forward. I mean, I, there's a part of me that wonders, you know, is, you know, is Darren Cahill's phone ringing off the hook? Is, is, uh, cause that's someone that he's chased Darren before. Darren Cahill is employed. He is currently employed. He's currently employed, but, but you do wonder about that but a little bit. He's not locked up in the Adidas contract like he once was. Right, exactly. Yeah. He is, he is just a floating coach in the same way that any other coach is. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's an option if he goes a different route, if he, you know, looks for, uh, or if he, he sticks with his Brits and, you know, elevates, uh, Jamie Delgado, if he, I don't know, whatever it is, but uh, yeah. I'll be curious to see where he goes forward. But you think, you think it could be another woman? Sure. Yeah. So Absolutely. I, I just I don't know some, yeah. who, I mean, there's not a name that pops to mind to me. For some reason, the one that pops in my mind, and I, again, I'm not sure what, again, with a lot of these, you never know what anybody's availability is. Uh, the one that gets, I've seen get bandied around the most today is Navratilova. Is, Nav- <laughs> is, is, <laughs> is Navratilova. Um, which again, that, she's a very strong personality, uh, and we, with, with, at Redvonska, there weren't recent results. So the recent track record's not good. The one that I would sort of be interested in is, Davenport, if she wanted to be on the table, I don't know. I feel like people answer the phone when Andy. If Andy Murray decides to call of you course. and be like, "Hey, 
I think people will consider things. It's a it's a great hire. Um, I if it's another outside the box player, the one that I sort of half jokingly threw out before was Andy Roddick, which I think would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Andy Roddick was a winning record against Djokovic. Um, I don't know. That could be uh, that could be fun. It's just it's a fun sort of you know bar stool game to speculate because you can you can go wild with it. Um, I threw out Mesquina earlier. Because why the hell not? <laughs> oh my God. You know, That's problematic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if she ain't gonna travel for Sveta, she's not gonna travel for Andy. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it would be great. I mean, it would be interesting to see if he goes super coach route. There's a part of me that just thinks that he won't. I think that he's gonna go a little bit more key, more low key, with the next hire. But this is literally staring into the sky and trying to guess something. I I don't know. I mean, who knows. It's a nice sky here. There are here. no stars. No, it's cloudy. Right it's a little cloudy. It's supposed to rain a bit later oh. today, uh, later this week. So, before we uh, turn here, just last thoughts on Madrid. It was both of our. I know we talked a little bit about yeah. this briefly, but it was our first time there, both of us. As a tournament, what, what did you make of uh, that premier mandatory one of the four? Yeah, and I, I guess you finished your premier mandatory. Uh, well, you already as a coverage time, you'd already been there. I guess as a fan, but yes. uh, what did you make of that tournament? Uh, I mean, behind the scenes, yeah, I mean, I, I've only been there once as a fan back in 2011. Um, as people probably already know, if you go back and listen, I didn't particularly enjoy my few days back then. It was, um, just a weird vibe and it wasn't ex- what I was expecting. And so, which is why when I was a freelancer, I never went back. I would always go to Rome because I felt more comfortable in Rome as opposed to Madrid. So I came into Madrid not knowing what to expect this time, but behind the scenes, I have to say, like, they, the team that was there, like, went out of their way. They bent over backwards to do and help you with everything that you could possibly need. And um, it's it's amazing how much just seeing an effort being made to help you, like, makes you happy. Because that isn't always the case at every tournament that we she go says, to. She says, <laughs> looking around surreptitiously. Yeah. Um, that, you know, like, it, there, it just means, you know, it's, it, it felt a lot like Indian Wells to me, where at Indian Wells, like, the staff that is there works so hard to deliver to you what you need and, and things like that. And I really felt like that effort was absolutely made in Madrid. So to Antonio and the team there, I mean, absolute props. And I thought their social media was tremendous this year. And no. Um, yeah, they were just doing some fun, innovative things, and, and uh, I felt thoroughly taken care of. And I don't know, at this point of my life, that's all I want, you guys. <laughs> to be spoon-fed. <laughs> you make yourself sound like so like invalid, but but you're not. You just need a, a Wi-Fi connection and a Burger King. Uh, yeah, for me, I thought, it was too, I thought it was really interesting, just again, as a con, it's so different from this tournament in Rome. It's a really interesting one to have back-to-back, and I guess these things, maybe the same way that Indian Wells and Miami always get compared to one another, uh, these two are a very interesting way to pair. This one just feels very open, the way it's laid out, all in a line with the trees and everything, and in Madrid, I guess partially because it was raining, and partially just how it was laid out, and partially because I never found a match on Court 7 I had to go to, it felt like an indoor tournament, a little bit. I was always under this, I didn't realize that the three main court before I got there. I didn't realize the three main courts are all in the same building mm. and they're just interconnected and it feels like you're almost in like a NBA or NHL arena or something mm-hmm. the way the concourse is and things like that. It's unique. So it, it's, 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 that was different and yeah. it, it, it give it its own own feel and it wasn't quite as um, in that sense I guess it wasn't quite as like cold and industrial as it felt. It felt more just like you were indoors and it was a thing and that part was good and the and the there were moments sec- where it felt a little world, world tour finals-y yeah. Right. Like not like not like obviously that kind of pomp and circumstance and like whatever. But you're right in terms of 
because when we cover the World Tour Finals, obviously you're indoors all the time and, and everything. And yeah, I guess you're right. I never thought about it that way, but I think that it did. Yeah. Now and the weather was really like, yeah. pretty. The weather was actually shockingly not warm most yes, of the time no, we were there. Was so that was, that was a surprise. I was like, oh, sun will be like, you know, it's like we're in Ibiza or something. <laughs> and it really wasn't. No. Uh, but it's in plenty of high, and I don't need to ever go to Ibiza. Uh, but yeah, so, but it was. I think you do well in Ibiza, my friend. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but with that, I guess, yeah. Uh, speaking of Ibiza, I'll give a last plug. We're doing NCR Vision. I don't know. I think it's like a natural transition from Ibiza to Eurovision. Eurovision regulars this week, NCR Vision coming out soon. Can you explain? Get excited. Can you give people kind of any sort of insight into how this is, how the yeah, show yeah, yeah. is going so, to be? So, I, I don't even know you guys. I. Every time Ben Ben was working very hard on this the last getting week, getting very excited, about getting it. very excited about it. I was being a wet blanket. I wanted nothing to do with right. it, and most likely I don't want anything to do with it. But I also want Ben to follow his bliss. <laughs> this is this is our friendship and how it uh-huh. operates. So, so I don't know what this all. So is. it's going to be twenty six songs, uh, numbered one through twenty six, and they will tennis be related songs, all tennis related, tennis inspired songs. Okay. And they will be in the episode, and you get to hear all of them. And then there will be a Will there link. be breaks after each song yes. where there is reaction and discussion, or Not, is it just... No reaction or discussion, okay. but there we will tee up each song individually. Okay. Um, and we'll have the the results show later, which we can do some more reaction and post-game and get like a round Because I do table. think it'll be pretty funny once I actually listen to all this stuff. Oh, yeah. And you can <laughs> and, and you and everyone else can vote oh, my on, goodness. on this. Uh, we'll have a Google form available where you can vote. Pick your top ten songs in order. Uh, assign your points like you are a Eurovision country. But shouldn't it be a thing where like you can't vote for a song that's related to your favorite player in no. the same way that you cannot vote for your own country's song? That would just be confusing. I understand, but if you concept, but y- you see what I'm saying here, right? Like, I mean, obviously, Agnieszka Radwanska song, to the extent that that exists, would win. I don't think it exists. Oh, how dare you? I'm gonna make one, okay. and all of Poland will vote for it, and it will win. You do that. See. The, I know, the, game the voting blocks actually were not well served because we didn't have a Halep song either, and that's <sighs> like, and the Romanians are the ones who vote. The Romanians vote. Yeah, they I was. I, I wrote a story about um, Halep winning and the Romanian success in in Madrid, and I I threw in some. I double checked it for before I put it in the New York Times, but I was like about how there were Romania has sorry, there are more foreign of the foreign born population of Spain. The most are from Romania. And I knew that from Eurovision just because yeah. I always vote for Romania. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so that is something to look forward to. Have had lots of help along the way in terms of deciding. Carol Bouchard and Renee Denfeld, who are here, so thank you to them. And they'll be making cameos in the show as well. Uh, but yeah, so it should be a lot of fun. It's my baby. I'm proud to see it get up and walk <laughs> in the world. Twenty six songs of varying, uh, very varying genre. It's, there's some jarring transitions in this show, which is good, uh, just like Eurovision, and it should be a lot of fun. So hope you guys check that out, and thank you guys for checking out NCR in general in this episode. If you want to follow along with us and you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. Follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast app and leave your reviews on iTunes. We appreciate that quite a bit. Send us emails uh, with questions, concerns, you know, NCR vision complaints about snubs to and no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Pancho Resendez of TennisBalls.com and Tal Woolley. Courtney, you got any feelings about anything to rant rave about? Any Burger King value menu, you know, concerns or I don't know what's going on in your life? No, but I, I can talk a little. I can talk some food related stuff. 
every time I come to Rome, and I didn't come last year because my cousin was graduated from law school and I wanted to be there for that. So, but otherwise, I, I never miss Rome. Sometimes I come back to Rome uh, in the fall. Uh, it's just probably, most definitely, my favorite non-American city right up there with Melbourne. But I think Rome, I'm going to give the edge to because I like the food a little bit better here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so every either Saturday or Sunday when I get in um, by myself, I always go to Larchetto which is a, a tiny uh, spaghetti, uh, not spaghetti, pasta and, and pizza place, although I go there for pasta, uh, that's right around the corner from the Trevi Fountain. And I don't know how I found it in the in the first place, but I, I went there the first year. I absolutely loved it. Um, I always get my very traditional uh, cacio e pepe, mm-hmm. um, and it's totally reasonable, and it's just a lovely way to spend, like to kick off my, my Rome experience. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to give a shout out to them because they're great. And I had a plate of cacio e pepe. I had two different bruschettas and I had a half a liter of the house wine, house red wine and a coffee, like an espresso. Is that all I had? Yeah. For 25 euro. It's pretty good. It's not bad, right? And it was tasty. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I will give, I don't know if it's more of a rant or just sort of a lament. I just felt, I, on the opposite of that, like I have never had a tournament, um, in my, I think in my career of doing this for however many years now, where I felt like I saw less of the city than I did in Madrid. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh my gosh. Because I was, well, especially because at least you were staying in the city and taking transport. I wasn't even doing that. I was staying out near the tournament, out by the Caja, and, uh, I just, Oh, except for one time, I went to the player party for like an hour. Um, but beyond that, I just didn't see any of it at all. I was sad. And so I might, I'm, I'm lamenting to myself that like, I, you know, I tell people like, oh, where are you going on your trip? Like, I'm going to Madrid. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. Like, honestly, like on the Madrid part of it, no, not that the tournament wasn't wonderful, but no one would have been jealous of me staying in the suburb there yeah. uh, for this uh, week. So I'm just hoping to myself to make more of this opportunity the rest of the way seeing the sights, soaking in the food. I'm probably going to go eat, pound out some pasta right now before things close. Good plan. I owe myself that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the same. I mean, I, I, in fact, I was in tournament transport driving me back to the hotel um, and talking to my driver who was Bulgarian but has lived in Spain since he was seven, and we were just chatting. And I was saying I haven't actually seen much of Madrid, and he was like, do you want to see some of Madrid? This was at 1.30 in the morning. I was like, um, if you can, sure. And he was like, try, basically trying to figure out a way to like drive me around Madrid, but not get in trouble because the cars had trackers oh. and that the like tr- transport would know, like if he was going off route and going rogue with their incredibly nice Mercedeses. Yeah. So, yeah. So I saw, but I, he did take me down. I saw a few things. Um, but that was about it of, of what I saw from Madrid other than the drive from the hotel to the thing. And so here I actually had my credential, this may surprise people, but my, I had some credentialing issues <laughs> in Rome. And so my credential actually wasn't, um, didn't go through until maybe about a week and a half ago. By the time that happened, official, uh, uh, hotels were all booked up. So I had to scramble literally two days ago to try and find a place to stay. And there were a few different places but I ended up staying in the center of the city, which tournament transport just informed me they will not drive me to. So I was like, great. Um, but I was like, if I'm going to be in Rome, I'm going to be in Rome. Good and for so, you. And so like, I'm a five-minute walk from the Trevi Fountain, five-minute walk from the Coliseum, ten-minute walk from, from Campo di Fiore, um, Piazza Navona, all of that. So I'm pretty excited with my mornings and stuff like that. 
And so I, I think I'm going to have a wonderful time in Rome this week. Uh, and I'm very excited. I love the cherry fountain, by the way. You've mentioned it a few times. It's just so Vegasy. It's so way. Vegas. It's so Vegas and cheesy. Like, you walk up to it. Literally, here's my story of the cherry fountain. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep this going. But I, every time I'm in Rome, I don't have, like, a guidebook. And obviously, there's so many great things to see in Rome. Half the time, because I'm an idiot, I don't know what it is. Sure. So I was talking to our friend Angelica, who see? is a Roman true and true and, and deep within her core. And a couple years ago, and she's like, what'd you do today? I was like, oh, I was walking around. Oh, what'd you see? I was like, I don't know. I walked past this, like, really big, like, fountain, but I don't know what that was. And she was, like, describing it. I was like, yeah, exactly. And she's like, that's the Trevi Fountain. I was like, that's the Trevi Fountain? And she's like, why are you so surprised? I was like, I don't know. It kind of looked like Vegas. And she was so insulted. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, but it just, it, it was kind of cheesy. But, yes, Larketto is thankfully in a tiny alley about, you know, uh, 800 or so meters away from the Trevi, but it's it's such a cheese ball place. But it's so tremendous in that way. But it's way. so tremendous. And we thank you for joining us here in our cheese ball place, which makes me just crave mozzarella. Oh, the big mozzarella thing the size of your head. You yeah. gotta get that before you leave. I will. And with that, I'll leave you guys to go. I'm gonna go eat. Bye. Ciao, ciao. A bottle of red A bottle of white it all depends upon your appetite I'll meet you anytime you want In our Italian restaurant